Hello, good morning everybody. It's great to see you. Um, I was going to talk about how beautiful winter is in Durban, but Grant decided to close every blind around the room, except that one over there. So if you look at that tree, isn't it beautiful? Um, we never really struggle with our winters here in Durban. I think they're beautiful. I think that the only thing that we really miss is the lack of sunshine, because our hours throughout the day get cut down as they move more towards the northern hemisphere. And as of Friday, we've already gone past the shortest day in Durban. Isn't that cool? So we can say goodbye to the winter solstice as we welcome in summer back to this incredibly beautiful city in Durban. But apart from the weather updates, my name is Brendan. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, if you've been with us over the last couple of months, we've been going through a series in the book of Acts, which was called Jesus Continued. Because as a church, we believe that Jesus continues even here today. That his mission, that his life, that the fact that he came to die for us on a cross and give up his life for us, um, is true for every single one of us in the city of Durban, in the country of South Africa, and in the world today. So we looked at the book of Acts, which was an account of the life of the early church and how those people lived out what Jesus had called them to. And we finished off that series a couple of weeks ago. And last week, Grant did a standalone preach on the Father Heart of God, which was something that God had been teaching him or reteaching him, something that God had been putting on his heart. And hearing God's, uh, Grant's word last week about God the Father Heart, I really was inspired to talk to us about maybe another name of God, something that God's been teaching me over the last couple of years. And I'd like to have a look at that this morning. But before I get there, these are a couple of names that I am just going to put up on the screen for me, that we find people referring to God because of their relationship with Him, because of how they view God, one of His characteristics towards Him. And these are some of the names that, that people call God. So I'll start from the top, El Aloha which is not like Haloa from uh, Hawaii, but basically means mighty God. Elohim, which means the creator. Adonai, which means Lord. Abba, which means Father, as we learned about last week. Yahweh, which means Lord, again, but maybe this time actually in a more reverent or holy sense of the word Lord. Jehovah Shalom, which means the God of peace. And lastly, Jehovah Jireh, which is the Lord of our provider. Now, there are many more names in the Bible that um, people refer to God, that they call Him, but honestly, they were too difficult to pronounce, so I just left them off the list. These are the ones I could actually say. So this morning, what I'd like to have a look at is, is the name of Jehovah Jireh, which is the Lord, our provider. Before I get there, I'm going to tell you a story about Kimmy and I. If you've never met Kimmy, this is my wife. Um, we've been together now for 13 years. We dated for four. We were engaged for one. We've been married for eight. You can do the math. That's right. Um, so we were married at the age of 22. We were engaged at the age of 21. We were very young and in love and incredibly mature. Um, and literally, we got married in April of 2011. And in June 2011, we found out that Kimmy was pregnant. So we were 22 years old, maybe 23 years old. We found out Kimmy's pregnant. We're just trying to get used to this whole marriage thing because two individuals in a relationship, never been living together before, and Kimmy falls pregnant. I will never forget the moment when she woke up at half past five, I hear this rustling of a packet. She's not a morning person. She's never up before me. And she comes down, sits on the bed, and she says, Friends, we need to talk. I literally woke up and I'm like, I know what's going on. I will never forget this. The moment she told me that she was pregnant, and this is terrible, but I honestly felt like I had a life sentence imposed on my life. Like I literally had nine months of stuff to do, life to live, before a baby came. Anybody else out there feel me? Some of the guys are chuckling me like, yeah, there's nothing. 
So honestly, so this is the scenario. We're 22 years old, 23 years old, and Kimmy falls pregnant. We're still trying to navigate this newly married life, and now we've got a baby on the way. We not earning a lot of money, we're both in our new jobs. There were a couple of complications in the pregnancy early on, so we had to go to the doctor every single month. And every single one of those visits cost us 800 bucks. Now, 800 bucks when you're newly married is a lot of money, and it still is. But every single month, we're just going, this is a non-negotiable expense. We have to fork out because actually we want to see that our baby is going to be healthy and, and come to the full term. And I think, honestly, we were overwhelmed in this scenario. We didn't know what to do. We didn't know how to navigate. We were trying to prepare ourselves for a tiny human coming into our lives. We were very immature at that age of 22, 23. We had a tiny little human being who was going to be a part of our lives. And we started to think, how are we going to prepare ourselves emotionally? How are we going to prepare ourselves financially? How are we going to get through this thing? And in hindsight, if we look at everything, we can actually see God's hand over our lives through every single step of the way on that process as we navigated a newly married couple, as we navigated a new pregnancy, baby coming into our lives. We see that God emotionally prepared us for what was to come nine months later. And I say we see that in hindsight because I would love to say that we were the couple who were on our knees or, or sitting together in the lounge, holding hands, praying, saying, God, you will make this right. We have faith that you will bring us through. I'd love to say that we were that couple, but honestly, we weren't. We were just trying to do anything we could. We were applying for every job that we could because we knew that we needed more money to be able to get another house with a second bedroom so we could buy bottles and a whole bunch of stuff that babies need and nappies, etc., etc. And as we were kind of navigating that stuff, we see that God's hand was in us. But we weren't that couple who was faithfully praying. We were sitting there going, God, why didn't I get this job? God, where are you? God, are you even alive? Do you even exist? But every single time we look back, we see that God's hand was faithfully there as we both got new jobs that gave us more money to be able to afford a place that had a second room that enabled us to buy stuff for our baby. And Madison was born a month before our first year anniversary. First year into marriage, we already have a kid. We were sitting there going, we don't know what's going on. <laughs> I mean, we went to Grant Michelle's wedding a couple of months later, and Maddie was like three or four months old. And we look back at those days and we go, wow, God, you were there. We didn't know it, but your hand was over us. You were providing for us in ways that we never even thought or imagined or knew would be possible, that you were there every single step of the way. More importantly than just financially, God provided us with a beautiful baby girl. I think we look back in our lives and we can say, wow, God, you are an incredible provider. You are Jehovah Jireh. When we're in the midst of it, we can't see those things. But when we look back in our lives, we can. So this morning, I'd like to have a look at the topic of Jehovah Jireh as we can understand and we navigate and we actually want to understand that God is our provider. I'd like to have a look, if we can, at where the name Jehovah Jireh comes from. And we need to flick back in our Bible apps. If you've got them, you can open them up. Well, if you want to, you can even look at this beautiful screen behind me. We've been missing a screen in our lives at church. We've been doing stuff on paper. And we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 22. So before I start reading, just a little bit of background to the story. The story is about Abraham and Isaac. Abraham was a man who was called by God to leave the area that he lived to a place where God wanted him to live. That God would later show him. And God promised Abraham that he would be a father of many nations. His name actually means the father of many nations. Maybe you've gone to Sunday school, maybe you've heard the song, Father Abraham and many sons. 
Many sons had Father Abraham, I'm one of them, so are you. So let's go marching on right on, I'm not going to read the whole thing, I guess some of you are already getting into it, but that's the same guy that we're talking about this morning. Okay, that's Father Abraham. So his name literally meant the father of a multitude of nations, and God made this promise to Abraham and Sarah, who were 75 years old, in a space where Sarah was completely barren and she was unable to have children. I think I sat there going, God, how can we have a kid when we are we struggling for so many years? How are we going to be the people? Well, how is Abraham going to be the father of many nations when he doesn't even have a child currently? And years go by after God has already promised them. And they're getting a bit frustrated. They're getting a little bit anxious. They don't understand God's promise to them and how he's going to be the father of many nations when they cannot fall pregnant time after time, month after month, year after year. And 25 years after God promised him that he's going to take him to another space where he's going to be the father of many nations, when God promised him that, he said, your, nation, your descendants are going to be the number of grains of sand on a beach or the number of stars in the sky. Now, after 25 years, God fulfills his promise. Sarah falls pregnant. And we see that actually God provides them with a son. His name is Isaac. And when they find out they're pregnant... We see in the Bible that actually Abraham and Sarah begin laughing because they're laughing at God fulfilling his promise. They're laughing at the fact that they're a hundred years old and they're having a brand new baby. They're laughing at God's goodness and his promise being fulfilled in their lives. So God names his son Isaac, which actually means laughter. So we're jumping down into that story in the midst of that, that space into Genesis 22 verses 1 to 14. It says this, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering. He arose and went to the place that God had told him. Him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place of which God had told him. <coughs> Sorry, carrying on verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you. And Abraham took the word of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both of them went, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. It's like this weird response. Every time, some, every time somebody calls Abraham, he says, Here I am. I think that's how we should respond. And he says, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, he took the knife to slaughter his son, his only son, his son that God had promised him 25 plus years ago that he would give him. He fulfilled that promise. And Abraham lays his son onto this altar. He lifts up a knife and he's about to sacrifice his son to God in obedience, out of faith. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And as we have just once again, he says, here I am. 
And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and he behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt sacrifice instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. As it said on this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. It's an incredible story of a couple who is struggling to have a kid. God promises them that he's going to be the father of many nations. 25 years later, they wait. And God fulfills his promise, Isaac is born. And God then asks him the most seemingly ridiculous question, can you go and sacrifice your son for me? as an offering. And he goes through the process of a three-day journey up a mountain. He puts his son onto the altar and is about to sacrifice him to God before God intervenes. And God provides a ram in the bush behind him that he can actually make a sacrifice to. I think this is an incredible moment where we see God actually intervening into the world as he provides, as he makes a way, as he does something completely different and unexpected. But I think Abraham knew that God would provide because he had already fulfilled his promise and provided him with the son years before. Abraham looked at his own life and said, actually, God has provided for me before. He's going to provide again. It's an incredible moment as we see God's intervention into a story, an incredible story of provision. And let's take another look, a look at another scripture in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 33. This is Jesus talking to a whole crowd of people. He's on the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of the greatest sermons ever told. In verse 25, this is Jesus talking. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into an oven, will he not much more clothe you or your little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you will need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. It's an incredibly challenging passage of scripture, as Jesus is telling a whole bunch of people to stop worrying, stop being anxious, don't be consumed with either anxiety or worry about the future of what they're going to eat and what they're going to wear. He's saying we don't need to be consumed with the fact that we need to work harder or earn more. He's saying, actually, let's just look at the basics of life. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And it doesn't matter what bird we're looking at, whether we're looking at a vulture, or a crow, or maybe a baby sparrow, or a hardy dar, or a hummercorp, or maybe a red-breasted thrush. 
None of these birds are putting seeds into the ground so that maybe it would rain and then crops would come up, that they could harvest them, they could put them into a barn. These are not gathering animals. They're not thinking about the future. They are not like ants who do actually go and gather stuff and store it up in their house. They're not like squirrels who go around and collect nuts and store them for the winter time. Birds look for their food daily. doesn't matter what bird it is. Now, I love what Jesus says here. He says, look at the birds around you. They are not worried about what's coming the next day because actually your Father in heaven looks after them. And I think in the current economic times of South Africa, I think when we look at how many people are being laid off, how many people are being retrenched, I've got a couple of friends who are going through that process at the moment, who are out of work, who actually as a result of the economy, as a result of the workspace, as a result of whatever might be happening, actually they find themselves out of work with a potential that they might be out of work. <coughs> My brother works at Nedbank. 25 people last week got killed on the first floor. Your jobs are redundant. Thank you very much. I read yesterday, multi-choice is going to be laying off another 2,000 people in the next couple of months. And I think when I read through something like this, it challenges me and I go, but Jesus, the reality is we need food, we need water, we do need clothes on our back. But Jesus calls us back to wildlife and he says, look at the creation that exists around you, look at the lilies, look at the birds, your heavenly Father feeds them and looks after them. He knows the needs that you have. Don't be anxious, don't worry about these things, don't consume yourselves with those things. Because actually God in heaven knows what you need and he will look after you. I think what's interesting is we see here that the prosperity gospel often tricks us and lies to us about things because they'll use this and they'll say, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. And people lie and stand up there and they say, but come to God and everything will come to you. You will have fame, you will have fortune. If you invest 20 bucks, if you actually just phone in now, if you come and deposit money with me, God will bless you. Jesus will bless you. And God doesn't promise that he's going to do those things. It says here, the Father knows what you need, that you need them all. God knows every single one of our needs. But it doesn't say that He's going to grant us every single one of our needs and our wants. I mean, the reality of the Christian story is that actually the greatest servants of the Christian story, both Jesus and Paul, were completely homeless. We don't see the prosperity gospel actually a reality in the world that we live in. Because there are people who love Jesus who don't actually have work. But Jesus is calling us to put the kingdom of God first. He's calling us not to be consumed with worry or anxiety. He's calling us to stop, to look around, and to acknowledge that actually God is sufficient, that God is our source, that actually God can provide for us. Because He looks after us and He knows every single one of us, and He knows every single one of our needs. I think more than just those two stories, there are so many stories in the Bible where we see God providing for people time and time again. We see the Israelites coming out of Egypt, coming out of slavery, They're running away from the Egyptians who are chasing them. They get to the Red Sea. They don't know what to do. And God provides a way out. He opens the Red Sea, an incredible miracle. And they walk through the Red Sea. While there's a a fiery pillar that is stopping the Egyptians chasing them behind them, they get through the Red Sea and it closes and they are free. And they're set out into the desert towards the promised land that God has promised them. They're walking around in the desert. This is thousands and thousands of people, Israelites, on the way to their promised land. They have no food, no water, and God provides for them. He brings manna from heaven. He brings dew. He brings water from a rock. God provides for his people. Well, maybe a different story. In 1 Kings, we see the prophet Elijah, who's also out in the desert. And God says to him, you need to go to this place. 
And Elijah says, well, what am I going to drink? What am I going to eat? He says, don't worry. You can drink from the brook that I'm going to set before you. And the ravens are going to bring bread and meat so that you can eat. So God instructs birds to bring meat and bread for the person that he's looking after. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who, and I'm sure some of you think it's Abednego, it's not, it's Abednego. They're in the book of Daniel, and they refuse to bow down to the king Nebuchadnezzar and worship him, because they worship God. So King Nebuchadnezzar throws them into a fiery pit, and the people who threw them into the fire died because the fire was so hot. And God provides them protection, and they were walking around inside this fiery furnace, because God protects them. And maybe more recently, as we read in the story of Acts, in Acts chapter 12, we see Peter who is in prison. God provides a way out, and Peter escapes from, from, from prison. So we see that actually God is our provider, whether it be food, whether it be clothing, whether it be water, whether it be a way out of something, whether it be protection. There are many stories in the Bible as we read through the real accounts of real people's lives that God has intervened into the world, that he is actually involved in the very fabric of our lives as people, and he is providing for them. Whether it be through love, whether it be for protection, shelter, food, life, healing, whether it be peace or joy, God is there providing for his people. We see that God, Elohim, the Creator, Abba, the Father, and Jehovah Jireh is providing for his people time and time again whenever we read through the scriptures. And this has to stir our faith that God can be our provider. As we look at some of these stories, as we look at the story of Abraham and Isaac, as we look at what Jesus is calling us to, it's got to stir our faith that actually God is so much bigger than our jobs and our current situation and our lack of money or so we think. Because God is our provider. He is so much bigger than, than our situation. Our God is sovereign. And we see His hand involved in people's lives time and time again. It has to stir our faith that actually God can provide for us, that He's looking after us, and that He loves us. Not only do we see this in the Bible, but as I said before, we look at it and we can see it in our own lives. And last year, in February 2018, um, my company was called to a massive call similar to this, a little bit bigger. Every single employee was sitting there. It was called Strategy 2018. It was the title of the meeting or the mini-conference. And they went through what they wanted to do through the course of the year, and then <laughs> they kind of misled people because right then the HR director gets up and she begins to explain how every single one of our jobs is being made redundant as we go through a corporate restructure as they issue letters of Section 189, which is effectively a process under which they are retrenching more than 100 people. And there were about five, six, seven hundred people in the room. And honestly, it was like watching a movie as people erupted, people were shouting, people were disagreeing. And basically, they wanted to move the business from Durban to Joburg. So I sat there being one of the people who's being retrenched, whose job is being made redundant. And um, I remember driving home and I'm like, what am I even going to say to Kimmy? Because I, I was in that place where actually the carpet was being ripped out from underneath my feet. And I remember phoning Grant, I told him before I told my wife, but I honestly didn't know what I was going to say. I told Grant the whole situation, I told him that our jobs were being made redundant. And Grant said these words to me, which I'll never forget. He said, Brent, you need to make a decision out of faith, not out of fear. And I have never been more angry with this man in my life. <laughs> I remember thinking, how does he even understand? He's not the one whose job is being made redundant. He's not the one who's being retrained. He is not the one who has a loss of income coming through in the next four to five months. 
He is not the one whose plans of the next 6 to 12 months have been completely stripped out from underneath him. Who does he think he is? I remember saying this to Kimi. It's so easy to say when you're not the one going through it. And those are the thoughts and conversations that I was having my wife about my friend who had very bravely told me the right thing. As much as I didn't want to hear it at the time, because I was fearful of the future. I was wondering what was going to happen. And his words were so correct, saying, don't make a decision out of fear, make it out of faith. Because in 2017, we struggled to sell our home. This is a story that Kimmy told, so I'm not going to go into the details, but we struggled to sell our home so much. Kimmy and I were sitting in a place, in our living room, on our bed. We literally said these words. We're like, God, are you even there? Do you even exist? Are you even alive? Because we had this burden of trying to sell our house before well, we bought another house. And it was this horrible situation in which we didn't feel that God was even alive anymore. And Kimmy of 2017, honestly, all of uh, due respect to you, that was an emotional wreck. She's an overthinker, an overprocessor. While we're trying to sell our house, no buyers are coming through. Every offer that came through failed. Every offer that came through was then denied from the bank or whatever it might be. So we had four failed offers. There's a, a period where we naively thought we would sell our house in a week. It took four to six months. And we were in a space going, God, we don't even exist. And Kimmy was trying to figure out every single solution. What can we do? How can we do this? How can we think of that? And I think what is incredible is actually the God of 2017 when we couldn't sell our house and our story was the God who was preparing us for 2018 when I was getting it retrenched. Because Kimmy of 2017 was a completely different Kimmy in 2018. She was a woman who was full of faith in a God who actually can provide. She was full of faith in a husband who could go and maybe get a job somewhere else. I was not on the same page as her, I'll be completely honest with you. I was fearing for my job, I was fearing for unemployment, I was fearing about actually what is our family going to do? We just bought a house do we want to leave Durban? How are we going to find, find work? Gang was offering me something to go to Joburg. And I had a meeting with the executives on the, the morning of my 30th birthday. Where they told me why they wanted me to transition the business with them up to Johannesburg. Because it was my birthday, my mom and dad and Kimmy, we all went out for lunch. It was a great time. And I got home, or back to the office, and Kimmy told me, she said, you're the grumpiest person at lunch. What is going on? It's your birthday, your family has come to see you. I love that spouses get to call each other out and things. And I said to her, about this decision for me potentially going to Joburg and apply for a position that's like a massive, heavy cloud over me. And she said, babe, why don't you just actually send me an email and say you're not going? And I don't know if you've ever met those people who say, um, they're making a big decision in their life and they say something along the lines of, I feel a peace about it. I used to get so annoyed with those people. I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, who are you processing this? What is a piece about something even mean? So I wrote an email to the two execs I had a meeting with that morning before, and I just said, thank you very much for our discussion. Thank you for you wanting to take me with you to Joburg, but I'm going to decline your offer. I'm not going to be going with you. It wasn't a decision made full of faith. I had faith in a God who can provide, but I didn't have faith that he would give me the job that I wanted. I had no idea when God was going to give me a job. But as soon as I sent that email, I felt a cloud completely disappear from me. I felt an incredible supernatural peace that I'd never felt before. And I understood what those weird people have been talking about many times when they told me about the peace of their experience and their decision-making. And I think what's so interesting is I, I can stand here and tell you that actually we need to look at the Bible and we need to look back at our own lives. 
But me in that situation was not seeing Jehovah Jireh, the God of Abiding. I wasn't looking back at the time when we had a, a baby coming and we were trying to prepare for that and God provided. I wasn't looking back into the house sale of 2017 that actually I should have seen that a God who is faithful and can provide for us provided a buy for that house. When I was going through the process of retrenchment, God provided me with people who gave me a different perspective, maybe a perspective that I didn't want to listen to, but who actually called me to look to a bigger picture, provided me with people who cared for me and loved me. And ultimately, God gave me another job and I found work somewhere else. And I think what's amazing to me is actually when we're in the thick of it, we never actually see what we're going through. We don't understand that God is so much bigger than what we're going through, our job situation, because we're so worried and anxious about it. And Jesus calls people in the Sermon on the Mount to say, don't be full with worry, don't be full with anxiety, but actually look around you. Look at how big I am. Look that I provide for the birds and the, and the flowers of the field. I'm looking after everything. I will look after your needs. And God was my provider. He has been. And I can only see that in hindsight. I wish that I could see that when I was in the thick of it. I wish that I lifted my head and actually glorified him, acknowledged him and been full of faith that he would give me something more. When we look back at our own lives, it actually gives us faith to go through what we're going through. And I think this is what Abraham did. When Abraham was about to sacrifice the son on the mountain that God had called him to do, he was full of faith because he knew that actually God fulfilled his promise of providing him a son. He knew that God would provide a sacrifice that would not be his son. And the sacrifice of the ram in the bush that God provided was actually a shadow of what was going to come one day. Because when Isaac was supposed to die, a ram was provided to take his place. And God would later provide a sacrifice that would die on our behalf. That was Jesus, his son. Who would later come to earth as the perfect lamb. Who would be the sacrifice that takes away the sins of the world. Now Matthew 20 verse 28, we see this. It says, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Because he was given for every single one of us. The same God who smiles at the brilliance of the wildflowers and the sparrows and he provides for his people is the same God who sent his son down to be the atoning sacrifice for all of the sins of the world. Jesus was the last and final sacrifice. He was the flawless lamb who has redeemed all sinners once and for all. Because Jesus is God's perfect and complete provision. He is the answer to every person's deepest question. There's the performance of every single person's deepest need. And what I love about the story in Genesis, we see that Abraham's only son was going to be sacrificed, but he was saved by God's incredible provision. And in the gospel, we see that God's only son was sacrificed because he's a miraculous provision for all of us. And when we say the name Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is our provider, we know with certainty that it can be true. Because we can see it in our own lives as we look back at the things that God has provided for us. We can see it in the creation of the birds and the flowers that exist around us as Jesus has taught us. We can see it in the story of both Abraham and Isaac and the ram that was provided for them as a sacrifice. But more importantly, we can see God's provision in Jesus being sacrificed and crucified on the cross. Because that is God's greatest provision to us. Please understand with me.